Well, good morning. How are we doing today? Thanks. Mom, is mom in the audience? She just said good. I think she was the only one. <laughs> doing all right today? We all lost an hour of sleep, so maybe we're not doing all that well. We had some very brave souls here at 9.15. I must add, not as many as we normally have at 9.15. Good to see you today. My name is Adrian. I'm one of the pastors here at Carney Free, and uh, so much good stuff happening to the church right now, as you just saw during that announcement section. Uh, many, many ways for you to get involved here at the church, and the Ministry Expo uh, can... Um, give a little bit of experience with a number of those ways, give a bit of exposure to various ways that you might choose to be involved here at Carnegie Free. I'd like to just add on, if I could, for a moment to uh, the Good Friday service and Easter Sunday services. On Good Friday, we'll have 10 different churches coming together. Isn't that cool? Right here in this room and then the North Auditorium, churches that all confess Christ together and say we're going to worship the same God together even though we know that there's some differences about us. We're excited about the core that we share, and we'll celebrate the, the death of Christ through which we have life and forgiveness and life forevermore. And so that'll be here at 7 p.m. on Good Friday. This will be my first experience well with that Good Friday combined service with all the different churches in town. And I meet with the different pastors of the various churches in town on a monthly basis. And it is such a blessing to be part of a community in which the pastors meet together and care for one another, pray for one another, pray for the success of the church in Kearney as a whole, as opposed to competing with one another. It's, it's just a, a great, great blessing. So I'm excited for being a part of that Good Friday service for the first time. Then a couple days later, we will celebrate the hope of resurrection, through which we have life in Christ. And so really excited for Easter Sunday. Perhaps you know someone that you're planning on inviting to a worship service that Sunday. We've uh, sought to create plenty of space for people to come in. As we know, there are a lot of people who come to Easter service who won't come to other services. And I'd encourage you to invite someone to this Easter service as we will be careful to share the gospel in a very, very clear way for them. And um, we'll have a number of services to, to meet the needs of our community. We have a 645 service outside for our bilingual ministry. They want to do an outside service though this year for sunrise. And so you saw that up on the screen, and then we have an 8 o'clock service in here, we have a 9.15 service in here, also a 9.15 service in the North Auditorium, in which the sermon will be broadcast live, but we'll have a live site pastor and a live band there, and it'll just be a great feel in that room at 9.15 as well, and then finally 11 o'clock service in this room as well. So should be plenty of opportunity to bring uh, friends and family to those. I would ask this favor, if you're uh, a member here, you're a regular here, perhaps you would consider going to either the 8 o'clock service here, or the 9.15 service in the North Auditorium in order to create space in this room, particularly at 9.15 and 11, where we think we'll need some extra space. So if that works for your schedule and you can pray through that, we'd certainly appreciate your consideration for that 8 o'clock or 9.15 North Auditorium gathering on Easter Sunday. Okay, uh, so much to be thankful for here at Carney Free. We're in a great spot. I want to let you know one thing to... To, uh, to really praise God for. This past Sunday, we had a, a community life Sunday in which we profiled some new life groups and a new, um, new believers gathering that is going to happen starting in the first of, of April, and uh, hopefully that will spawn off life groups as well. We got 50 names last Sunday alone, 50 names of people who want to be a part of community who don't yet have community here at Carnegie Free. Isn't that cool? That's so great to see that kind of thing happening. 
I'm told, I'm told in the last six months we've received 120 names of people that want to be a part of life group community here. People who understand that Sunday morning by itself is not enough. They need to be a part of community. And so if you're in a place that you would consider even leading a group, we could use some more leaders. And Kevin will work with you, Pastor Kevin will work with you to help grow you such that you can be a confident group facilitator, a confident group leader. And that's just a need that all of us well, would have a small group community I mean, to get 50 names for two new groups and then one new believers gathering, we already need to spawn off new groups. What a great problem to have. We are so blessed here at this church and um, want to congratulate those who took uh, the bold step out into considering a life group community last week. Let's give thanks for that and let's pray as we open up the Word of God. Father in heaven, thank you for those who uh, took that courageous step um, presumably in response to your call last week, that, that we need each other. We cannot do it on our own. And we thank you, God, for the power of community. And we thank you, Lord, for the blessing of being here together as your church. And we ask, God, that you would teach us this morning, that it wouldn't be my words, but we would have the words of the scriptures, the words of Christ Jesus himself guiding us today, and that you would inform our lives, that we'd be changed by you. And Father, I pray for any who are in this room today, they're struggling for any number of different reasons. It could be relationships, it could be finances, it could be some physical pain, some difficulty with children. Whatever it is, God, you know. Thank you, Lord, that you know. Would you please help them right where they are right now? And would you give us all ears to hear your message on this final core value that we might grow in it today. We love you, Lord. Thank you for receiving our prayers. Amen. Well, it was Mark Twain who said, the two most important days in a man's life are the day that he was born and the day that he finds out why he was born. And I hate to quibble with Mark Twain, but I would probably add a third most important day, if I could, just as a quick aside. And I'd say the three most important days in a person's life are the day that she was born, the day that she was born again, because none of us were born perfect the first time. Can I get an amen? Every parent in the audience, I promise, is shouting amen. <clears throat> and then the day that we found out why we were born. Don't want to make light of that in any way. We acknowledge, though, that we need Christ that we need to be reborn by him spiritually because none of us has it together right the first time. But nonetheless, I love this quote from Mark Twain because when you figure out, be it the day or the season or the year, that you figure out the reason that God put you on earth, it is exhilarating. I'd like to suggest this morning that the reason globally that all of us were born is for mission. Not necessarily to become a missionary, not necessarily to do missions with an S at the end, but certainly born for mission. Our fourth and final core value is this. The church exists for mission, and the mission is to make disciples. Now, that word missions refers classically to going off on a missionary work. 
Missions with an S at the end, the way it's classically defined, is leaving one group of people to go to another group of people in order to uh, serve them for the cause of Christ, to do missionary work. But when you speak of mission, you're referring to the cause that God gives all of us to bless people in the name of Jesus, to love people in the name of Christ, to do good to others in the name of Christ, to serve others for the cause of Christ. And that's for all of us to do, to be in a life of mission. Now, I don't know about you, but when you get serious about a life of mission, you're going to find all kinds of obstacles. At least that's been my experience. All kinds of obstacles to going out and really serving the cause of God that He's placed on your life. You'll find that you don't have enough time. You'll find that you don't have enough emotional energy for people. You'll find a fear of rejection welling up. A fear that you don't have enough equipment, that you haven't been well-trained enough to really serve other people. But through it all, God will break through those, and His invitation is the same. As Ephesians 2.10 puts it, we were created for good works. You are God's workmanship, Paul says in Ephesians 2.10. You are God's poema in the Greek. You're His poem. You're His piece of artwork. You're His special creation made by Christ Jesus, piece of artwork made by Christ Jesus in order to do good works that you would walk in them because God has prepared them for you before the foundations of the world. Wow, how about that? God made you that beautiful, but not just for your own sake, but that he would use you then to bless others with the good works that he would call you to do. Now I'm going to jump around through a number of different passages today because there's literally thousands of verses in the Scripture on how God has called us to mission, how God has called us to service, how God has called us to live a life that makes a difference in others' lives. And so, we better get started. We won't make it through all of those this morning unless you're worried right now. Don't, don't, don't start looking at your watches right now. We'll journey through a few of those this morning. And again, there are so many of them on God's invitation to us to live a life of mission. I think before we enter into those passages, I'd like to just uh, restate where we've been to this point in the series, All In. We talked about our mission statement, that we're building a transformational community of people by growing in love with Christ and all people. And underneath that mission statement, we have four core values. This is a talk in church time. What are our four core values? Who can give me one of them? The first one. Truth, I heard. And truth is objective. Truth can change lives. You get to know Christ the person of Christ is able to change our lives. His word is objective. Founding our lives on the objective word of Christ as opposed to subjective feelings and experiences can change our lives. How about a second one? What's the second uh, core value? Gospel, I heard. And gospel is good news. It's not good religion. It's not a bunch of rules. It's the good news that God loves us and he invites us to his family. And we are welcomed into all of his love and all of his embrace. The third one that we talked about last week was community. And community, we said, is not just a meeting, it is the context for life change. Part of the way God would change us, bring about discipleship in our lives, is through others, through a small group of people who really care about us, who encourage us and help us stay accountable. And the fourth one is mission. That the church exists for mission and the mission is to make disciples. Now, I personally think that a critical question every church must answer is, how? 
How does someone grow spiritually? How does someone take all that information that I just shared related to mission and vision and core values and break it down such that we could get on a pathway of discipleship and actually grow with Christ? Would you like to know? I'd like to know how to grow spiritually. And I'd like to suggest right now that there are three key environments that we all need to be in in order to grow spiritually. And this is going to become our pathway for discipleship, that we will regularly share with you the way that we would grow spiritually, that you could come in wherever you are, whatever your contact is well with the church, you can enter in through one of these three gates, and you can grow spiritually over the course of the next year if you get into each of these three environments. That's a guarantee. I'm telling you, I am guaranteeing you that if you do these three things over the course of the next year, you will grow with Christ. I don't want to guarantee too much. I don't want to exaggerate as preachers are wont to do. But you will grow in Christ if you do these three. So write down this little diagram. You'll see bless, believe, and belong. Frequently people come into the church as they believe the right things about Christ, and we want to believe the right things about Christ, about God, about the church, about salvation. But we don't just believe the right things, then we go toward the center and we spend time with Christ, and then we go out toward community, and it's in community that we find a place to belong. And as we belong in that community, then it's important we go back to Christ, and then we go out to the world. If we only believe and belong, we'll become spiritually unfit. We need also to bless others with our hands. Let me state that even more clearly. If we only believe and belong, but we're not blessing, we will become spiritually fat. We will, because we need to act, exercise, we need to act on what God has given, and that's the work of going out and blessing others. So here's how we do this at Carney E. Free. We teach the gospel, and we teach the truth of God's word, and we do that together as we come in here on Sunday morning. And as you consistently come in here on Sunday morning and you get the gospel and you get the truth of God's word that helps you in your belief structure. And you'll see that up on the screen here in this next slide. And then second, you go out into community. And as you belong to a community, a small group together, then you realize there's no Lone Ranger Christians. We can't do this by ourselves. We need to be in community. But that alone is not itself. So then we go out to bless others. And that's the role of mission that we act on what we know, we act on what we find in community, and we do one of each of these three before we do two of any. And if we all find one small group community, one worship service here, and then one area of blessing others, be it in our church or outside to the broader community, I guarantee you, you will grow in Christ over the course of the next year. And to the extent that we miss one of these, we frequently become out of balance. So, bless, believe, and belong. Now, what is the foundation for serving people toward Christ? What's the foundation for mission? The foundation for mission is none other than the example and the teaching of Christ. You think of this purpose statement of Jesus in Mark chapter 10, 45, as Jesus came to the earth, he said, this is one of my purposes for being here. He says, the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Now think about that. 
This is God of gods. This is King of kings. This is Lord of lords. And he says, I haven't come to take, as most leaders do, as almost all kings do, I have come to give my life as a ransom for many, to serve. And then on another instance, as Jesus is walking with his disciples, he hears two of his closest disciples, James and John, bantering about, about who is the greatest. Okay, he just said, I've come to serve, but now they go on to say, well, who's the greatest? Who's going to get the best place in the kingdom of God? And, and Jesus, if you go back to read this in Luke chapter 22, he hears them bantering about, about who's the greatest, and they sound like a couple presidential candidates on both sides of the aisle, I might add. And he said, you know, you know your previous leaders would come and they rule it over you, they lord over you, but I am among you as one who serves. As opposed to other kinds of leaders, the Jesus way of leadership is service. It's sacrifice. It's giving oneself up for the needs of others. The Apostle Paul says similarly in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, this is in the NASB, your outline says 1 Corinthians 4, that's a, uh, a typo on my part. But 2 Corinthians 4, 5 says, I am your bondservant for Jesus' sake. You think about that again. This is the greatest leader in the early history of the church throughout the Mediterranean world. He's planting churches all over the place and writing about 40% of our New Testament. And he says, I'm a bondservant. I was purchased by one, Jesus Christ, to serve others, to serve you all in Colossae, to serve you all in Corinth, to serve you all in Rome. That's all I am, a purchased servant. Service, a life on mission for God, helping each other grow, this is what Jesus and the disciples modeled. And moreover, it's what they instructed for every one of us also. Turn with me to 1 Peter chapter 2, and I'd like to share an instruction from the Apostle Peter now that I think if we really get into us, can actually transform our lives. I, I really believe that. This is the kind of instruction that if we get this word into us, it can change our personal sense of calling, particularly if you see your calling as somewhat different. If you see your calling as function, let me say that again. If you see your calling as fundamentally different from my calling, that's the right way to put it. If you see your calling as fundamentally different from my calling, this passage by itself can break that idea at the knees. 1 Peter 2, 9 and 10. You are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. So Peter's saying here that at one time as Gentiles, that is the nations who are not Jewish, we were not God's people. But God chose to come 
and show, na- show mercy to all people everywhere, to break down the dividing lines between Jew and Gentile, between black and white, between rich and poor, between Asian or Hispanic and men and women or whatever divisions though, that we would put up. He has broken all of those down by the blood of Jesus Christ. And then he goes on to say, because he has broken down all of those, I am making you a royal priesthood. Now, students of the Old Testament, certain flags are going off in your mind right now. What is a royal priest? A royal priest is someone who is given a special responsibility of God to go on behalf of the people of God to God. He holds the highest ministerial role in Israel. He gets to go before God into the holy place of the temple and represent the people to God as chief minister for the people of Israel. Only the priest can go to the holy place, and only the high priest can go to the holy of holies, and then only once a year. Now, isn't it interesting that Peter now calls this group of Gentiles and Jews mixed together in this first century church in Jerusalem a holy priesthood? In verse 5, and a royal priesthood a people belonging to God here in verse 9. It's really astounding, well, when you think of it. He's saying that all of the differences in roles that we like to put up here, that we say there's certain really, really important roles like pastor, like missionary, like counselor, and there's other small roles, and you've got this clergy-laity split. The clergy is up here and laity is down here. This passage breaks that at the knees and says, no, there is no superiority between any people in the family of God. There might be, and there is, a functional and important spiritual leadership role, but that spiritual leadership is never to lead to a superiority between me and you because you are a priest every bit as much as I am a priest. Do you believe that? You are a minister of God most high. Every bit as much as I am a minister of God most high. Please, please hear that. The whole split that has developed across so many centuries between in Catholic churches and Protestant churches, it's false. It's false. We're to be on mission for God no matter where he might call us. I love the way Martin Luther put this at the dawn of the Protestant Reformation. He said, whether you are preaching a sermon, please hear this, don't miss this quote, whether you are preaching a sermon or milking a cow or changing a diaper or harvesting a field or administering the Lord's Supper, if it is done in faith, then God is pleased and Jesus smiles. Whatever you do, if you do it for God, you choose to go on to mission with what he has given you, God is pleased and Jesus smiles. That is the foundation for our mission, that you and I are all priests of God as we follow Christ. Now turn over with me a couple chapters to 1 Peter chapter 4 and we will see the faithfulness of mission that is the natural response to the foundation of mission. 1 Peter 4, starting at verse 8. 
Above all, keep loving one another earnestly, since love covers a multitude of sins. What a verse for married couples, isn't it? We should put this on our marriage certificates or above our marriage bed or everywhere we go. Above all, love one another deeply for love covers over a multitude of sins. That's another sermon for another day, okay? And I will preach it, trust me. <laughs> show, hospita show hospitality to one another without grumbling. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's various grace. Whoever speaks as one who speaks oracles of God, that is revelations of God, the very words of God, that's all that word oracle means here. Whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God provides, in, that, in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to him belong glory and dominion forever and ever, we say together, amen. Amen to that. The Bible is just so, so good. What a passage on using your gifts for service, whatever they may be. Do you read this Bible? I mean, you really should. It's really, really good. I, I need to read this more. It is so chock full of great stuff. What it's saying is be faithful in small things. Whatever small things God brings to you, be faithful in those. Don't try to do great things. Do small things, as Mother Teresa said, with great love. Do small things with great love, and you will be on the track of Christ. As each one has received a gift, use it to serve one another as stewards of God's varied grace. A steward takes what another person gives, and then he takes care of it. He multiplies it. He honors it much in the way as that person who gave it would want him to. Now, if we don't use what God has given, we are not honoring the giver. We must use what God has given in order to honor the giver of all of our gifts. So God disperses this wide variety of talents, not for our own benefit, but God gave us the different gifts and the passions and the abilities we have to serve other people around us. Big and small, we do that faithfully. That's all that matters. Do it faithfully. It's not how big your service is, not how extraordinary it is to other people. Only faithfulness is what matters. I appreciate that Peter breaks it down and gives us a few how-tos. He says, first, show hospitality. If you're gifted at hospitality, show it generously without grumbling. And he goes on to say, some people are gifted with their words. And I know there are many gifted people with their words here, that God has gifted you as a counselor, uh, maybe as a life coach. God has gifted you as uh, a teacher or a preacher or uh, some other ability with your words. And he says, use that gift with the very words that God provides. And so what does that mean? I don't think it means go around uh, quoting Bible verses all the time. That would be kind of weird, wouldn't it? Right? Have Bible, will babble. You know people like that. That's kind of weird. We don't go around talking like that. What we do is we, we, we speak loving words to other people, and we season our words with the Word of God. And what we say is backed up by the Word of God. Why? Because His words are unchanging, whereas our words are always changing. And your words, hate to tell you, are not worth a hill of beans. Neither are mine. That's why I'm not going to stand up here and preach my own opinions. We preach the very words of Christ because they are eternal and unchanging. That's what Peter's getting at here. 
Or if you're gifted with your hands, go find a way to use that gift with your hands. And God will provide you strength right at the hour that you need strength for that specific area of service. Now, does anyone in here have the gift of mercy? Raise your hand if you have the gift of mercy. A few people? Okay, I saw a few hands. Now, those of you who have the gift of, uh, of mercy, is there ever a point when you feel like your store of mercy is all gone? Of course there is. So at that moment, you say, God, would you help? And he will provide because he's a provider. Or some of you are gifted with fixing things with your hands. And imagine the power if we had more people in this church saying, I, I can help out the church by fixing things with my hands. I can help out Ken and Dan and Sue and the Building and Grounds team. Some of you were born with a left thumb and a right thumb. I was born with two left thumbs. So I shouldn't be on that team. But some of you should be on that team helping out. Or some of you are particularly strong at mentoring, relating to middle schoolers and high schoolers. And you say to yourself, well, I don't have any more time. I don't have any more energy. Could you give two hours a month, please? I mean, think about the power of mentoring a middle schooler or a high schooler, coming along their side on a Wednesday night, even if it's only two or three or four times a month for an hour or so to care for them. The power of having another man or woman that is not mom or dad caring for a young person as they develop and helping to point them toward Christ there, is, there are few things more powerful than someone voluntarily offering that time for kids that are growing up within our church. And you say, well, I don't know what to say. One, we'll train you. And two, God is a provider. God will help. If you have a, a gift for helping others, God will help and God will develop that. God will grow that. You simply step out in faith with what he has given you. No matter how big or small the ministry, if it is done in faith with eyes toward loving people and honoring God, Jesus smiles and he provides. Now remember, Jesus says that the man or woman who has been pr proved faithful in small things will also be proven faithful in big things. And conversely, the man or woman who does not prove faithful in small things, will not be given big things to do for God. That's a fact of the Scriptures. You prove faithful with what God has given you, and He will give you more. And this leads into the fulfillment of mission. The fulfillment of mission comes, as we say, I get the honor to faithfully steward what God has given, and then He gives us more to participate in things that really matter in the world for His purposes and for the advancement of His kingdom. Fulfillment in life does not come from the letters behind your name. Fulfillment in life will not come from a bigger salary. Fulfillment in life will not come from the logos on your t-shirt or the logos on your phone. Fulfillment in life will not come from having a hundred friends or a thousand friends on Facebook. None of that will do it. Fulfillment in life comes from giving your life up in service for others to the honor and glory of God. Significance comes from service. And Jesus just rewards mission. He rewards people when they serve him. When we serve with his love, as this passage has referred us to, we speak with the very words that he has provided, when we serve with the strength that he provides, 
Uh, and we do it in order that in all things God might be praised through Jesus Christ our Lord. When we do that, we ultimately will be fulfilled by that. Let me ask this question. Have you ever had the experience of, uh, of, of serving and expecting that other people would give you applause for that service and they didn't? It's frustrating, isn't it? I've been there many times. And to the extent that you serve with the expectation that others will give you applause, you will be disappointed. Because sometimes they will, but oftentimes they will not. But ironically, if you serve just for God, you will be fulfilled by that because God will give you praise as you seek to serve faithfully. And no one will see that except for you, which will give you motivation to keep doing it again and again and again. I can tell you this from firsthand experience. Many years ago, I was enslaved to the opinions of others. I would stand up and preach on a Sunday morning, and I so needed to hear, good job, good job, good job. That's silly, ridiculous stuff. And eventually, it ends. Then what happens? No, we don't serve for the kudos of other people. We serve for the praise of the one who alone is God, and he will give it. And that's still a struggle for me from time to time, as I'm sure it is for many of you. It's not that I've completely overcome that, but God has substantially helped me to overcome that through passages like this one. Matthew 25, you'll see up on the screen, where the Master says to us when we go to heaven, and isn't this what you want to hear? Well done. Well done. Good and faithful servant. You've been faithful with what I've given you. You've been faithful with small things. Now let me put you in charge of many things. Come and share in your master's happiness. Come and share in your master's joy. And you got to know that this is a truth both for eternity and for today. That if we choose to serve for the honor, for the praise of the one who alone is God, he will reward us now. He'll give us motivation to keep on going when other people don't give us kudos and then we, when we die as well, he'll say, well done, good and faithful servant. Let me put you in charge of many things. Be faithful in the small things, and God puts you in charge of many things. This leads to fulfillment in mission. I heard a story that perhaps you did as well, where there was a gentleman who saw a few different men who were working on a building at a construction site. And he went to each of the men to ask them what they were doing. And as he got to the first man, he said, what, what are you working on? And the first man said, I'm, I'm laying bricks. And then he goes to the second man and he says, what are you working on? And he says, I'm building a wall. And then finally he goes to the third man and he sees a different continence on that third man as he's humming along and singing a song as he's also laying bricks. But, but he asked that third man, what are you doing? The third man moves away from his bricks and his mortar, and he looks up at the man, and he looks up toward heaven, and he says, I'm building a cathedral to God. You hear the difference? You see, you can be doing small things, but if it's done with a vision toward serving God, you realize that you're doing something far greater than even that small, seemingly menial task. Small things done for a great God can be used 
for building his cathedral in so many different ways, by his manifold and various grace to us, we get to collectively, do you believe this? We get to collectively build up the cathedral of God. Now today after worship, we have this ministry expo in the atrium area of the church. And if you don't yet have an area of ministry, you don't yet have an area of service or mission, I, I would simply invite you to walk through that ministry expo space and pray as you walk and say, God, might you use me in one of these areas? And you don't have to commit to it forever. You can simply ask God, would you use me in one of these areas? And then perhaps you would commit to serving in one of them for the next six to nine months or the next 12 months. And maybe you'll find it wasn't the right place, and that's okay. God won't strike you down if you get it wrong the first time. That's not his character. He loves you. He invites trial and error. And sometimes we find out just what we're made for in answer to prayer. We find out immediately. But if you're anything like me, and I know I am, thank you for the three people that just laughed. If you're anything like me, you know that it takes a while to figure out the specific way that God has made you for mission. And it's okay to do some trial and error over the course of time. And so, I would just encourage you, if you're curious here today, you don't have an area of service yet, or um, maybe you're in between areas of service, you're just here asking questions at Carney E. Free. Walk through that ministry expo space and ask God, would you use me in one of these areas? And then give one a try. And if it's not the right space, that's okay. Let us know pastoral team, the ministry director's team, will do everything we can to help you find an area of ministry that use the gifts, the talents, the passions that you have for his honor and to genuinely help other people. We promise we will not use you and chew you out and spit you out like some churches do for our own programming. What we do is we'll value you. We'll value the gifts that you bring to the table and invite you into a great service to honor God, and genuinely bring help to other people. And then perhaps over the course of nine months or 12 months, you begin to find a little bit more of the reason why God brought you to this earth. Wouldn't that be cool? Let's pray for that. Father in heaven, thank you that you've brought all of us to this earth for a purpose. Truth is, many of us will have many different purposes over the course of many years. But during this season, we confess that we want to be used by God. We don't want our lives to count only for today. We want our lives to count for others, for many people, and for eternity. And so, God, we surrender ourselves to you this morning. We ask that you would use us in profound ways. They may seem small, but you can make them great. We ask, God, that you would use us in our neighborhoods. Some of us will be called to some kind of outreach to our community, and and we bless every person that's called to that. Others of us will be called to be greeters here in this church, and I pray, God, that you would make them the very best greeters any newcomers have ever seen. Some of us will be called to operate on boards in this church, and 
And others will be called to operate within ministry teams and to use their gifts in, in music or the creative arts. And some will be called to mentor kids, to teach little ones, to shepherd teenagers, to guide college students, to be a resource to those who are hurting, to be a life coach for someone who's struggling with some pain right now. Some of us will be led to be life group leaders. Through it all, Lord, we ask that you would unleash your manifold grace. Unleash your gifts on this church. That we would be increasingly used by the power of your spirit for your glory and for the good of your people, for the good of your community, till all the world may know that Jesus is alive, that Jesus invites, that Jesus calls, that he is a good giver of every gift in whose name we pray. Amen.